Good morning, Venture. Well, as Pastor Brandon said, my name is Josh Ziefel, and I have the privilege of being able to share with you this morning. Uh, my wife, Rachel, and I have been here for about two years, and so I've met some of you, but for the rest of you, hi, it's me uh, this morning. And uh, I have the privilege as well of continuing and kind of um, ending this segment of our Man on Fire series, um, our journey through the book of Acts, before we pause uh, to turn to the last week of Jesus' life uh, on earth as related in the Gospels. So that is what we are up to this morning. I realize, though, as I said, you guys probably don't know me very well, so I thought I brought some show and tell, uh, if that's okay. <laughs> you know, um, one of the things uh, that is true and undeniable about venture that I have discovered in these last two years is that you were very much a sports church. Um, you know, I mean, you were Jesus church first, but then sports. Uh, so, uh, and hey, I'm down with that, um, but where a lot of you are like, I'm like, yeah, sports, that's fine, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've uh, been to see a sporting event with our pastor, and I, I've, uh, I, en I enjoy a good game as much as the next person, but you, you folks, many of you, I mean, I don't even know. Uh, and it starts from the top, really, I'll be honest, you know, it just starts from the top. Um, but, uh, I, so I thought, though, maybe if you have sat here and you say, you know, man, I'm just not very much into sports, all of these sporting analogies I don't get, well, I'm gonna give you another option this morning because um, where I go over the top is nerd stuff. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, okay. I didn't do this in the first service, but let me just show you here. I'm not gonna undress, but okay. I should, I should, uh, I should show you here. I am wearing this morning my Captain James T. Kirk uh, uniform shirt. Um, yeah. See, the danger of unbuttoning is now I have to rebutton here, so we'll just let this, uh, we'll let this be. Um, as uh, Pastor Brandon said, uh, I do have a doctorate, and the day that I um, kind of received my doctorate, my good friend Will um, came to me, brought me a little gift fitting for the occasion, a replica Starship Enterprise. Um, <laughs> it even lights up. Uh, so this is in my uh, home, this is the Enterprise D, uh, so this even uh, uh, lights up, so that's, that's that. Um, more than just Star Trek, though, I'm also a big fan of fantastical things like Indiana Jones. Any Indiana Jones fans here? Yeah. So I almost thought I'd lost this, but I found it last night. Mint condition. Uh, still in the package. Uh, when people ask me what my favorite movie is, I will say Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Third Indiana Jones movie, Harrison Ford, of course, and Sean Connery. Ah, oh, you know... Oh boy, and this is an action figure of Sean Connery's character, Indiana Jones' dad, Dr. Henry Jones Sr. So, apparently there might be something secret in this box, but I'm never going to know, because I'm never opening this. So, <laughs> and also, um, someone might, if not, they don't know what this is, they might be, think it's some sort of holy artifact, but in my office at the school at Northwest, I have a replica Holy Grail from Indiana Jones <laughs> and, and the Last Crusade. So, um, he chose wisely. So, um, yeah, I'll leave that here. I'll come back to that later. But, so this morning, uh, I have been uh, thinking about the journeys of Paul and thinking about Indiana Jones. I was just seeing a movie the other night, and I see that the new Indiana Jones movie comes out June 30th, so set your calendars. And uh, I've been thinking about the Indiana Jones map, right? So here we go. This is like Paul journeying around the world, except he didn't go on a plane, and Paul was never in New York. But nevertheless, you get the idea. And so... Um, you might call this morning's Indiana Jones movie The Apostle Paul and the Jerusalem Journey. So, uh, 
Oh, I should have had them play the music right now, but we won't. Okay, so let's take a look. Oh, man, there it is. Yeah, so let's take a look at uh, the actual map here of Paul and his journeys. Um, This map, the red line, represents his third missionary journey, where we've been kind of uh, walking through the last few weeks here uh, in our services adventure. But the the whole story of the man on fire that we've been following begins earlier than that, earlier than this third journey. It starts over here on the road to a place called Damascus, where Paul, who used to be known as Saul, has an encounter with Jesus Christ, the risen Jesus Christ, and his life is transformed. Um, And then he begins to go out slowly but surely into the Roman world of the first century and share the news of Jesus Christ with the world. And so by, we get to, by the time we get to this map, this is his third missionary journey. And of course, we can look up here to Philippi, way up here in Macedonia. You can hear about the story in Paul's life at one point of being in prison in Philippi and God's miraculous deliverance there. We can tra- trace it down maybe to uh, in an earlier journey to Athens and hear about how Paul is standing in that city before the, uh, the statue to the unknown God and, and, and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Last week, we talked about Paul in Troas here on this third missionary journey and how God did a miracle there after um, someone had uh, died. And and through through the power of God, working through Paul, um, Eutychus was raised to new life. We also see Ephesus on here, down here in um, kind of uh, western what is Turkey. Ephesus, a place where Paul lived for two, three years, um, preached the gospel, served the people there. And so it's kind, of, it's kind of quite a journey. And remember, he was doing this about 1,900 years ago. So uh, that's no small amount of travel today, and he was doing it a very long time ago. This week, of course, and you can see the arrow here as he head back, back to Troas, and you can see the arrows following, he begins to turn his face, if you will, on the long road back to Jerusalem. The long road back to Jerusalem. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you speak to us through it and change our lives through it. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as I said, Paul is heading back. The third missionary journey that we call it today, he didn't call it the third missionary journey, he just called it doing what he had to do, uh, begins to wind its way towards a path that will take Paul to Jerusalem. In Acts 20, verse 13, it goes a little like this. We, that is the traveling companions of Paul, left Troas and went ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. Then he met us at Assis. We took him aboard and went to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem if possible by the day of Pentecost. Let's take a look at this map again. I want you to understand what's happening here. Paul is in this place called Troas with some traveling companions. And I mean, where he's, where he's going, you would think that you would just take a boat from there to get to Jerusalem. He actually sends his traveling companions on ahead of him on the water to that place called Assis where he ends up walking 
from Troas to meet his friends in the next place. We don't know if he was walking by himself. He may have been. And uh, in some ways, I kind of like the image of Paul kind of saying, hey, I need some time. I'm going to go walk a little bit. I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk to Jesus. I, I, I need this time apart. You guys take the boat ahead. I'll meet you there. There's probably a lot on his mind. After he gets there to Assos, they sail on to Mytilene there, and you would think that Paul would stop on the way to Ephesus, a place where he'd spent a lot of his time, maybe more time than almost anywhere else in his journeys, two or three years. You would think he would want to stop there, say hi, visit a little bit, sample the local cuisine, whatever it might be, but he purposely doesn't go there. He actually sails all the way down a little further to a port city named Miletus there on the Meander River. He stops there at Miletus, and you can take a look here at what it looks like today from the, uh, the theater, the amphitheater. It was a port city at the time, but the river me Meander has a lot of silt in it, so it's kind of silted up today and, and kind of a bit more landlocked. But while he's there in Miletus, he stays for a little bit, and he, can't, he kind of can't resist the final farewell. And so it's not too far from Ephesus. He sends the message out to the people from Ephesus, the leaders there. He says, why don't you come on down to Miletus? I, I'd, like to, I'd like to say a few things. I'd like to greet you. I'd like to visit with you a little bit. He probably thought, if I go to Ephesus, I'm going to get invited to lots of people's houses. It's going to take a long time. I need to get going. But if I stop at Miletus, they come visit. I can, I can do it a little quicker. And so that's kind of where he's up to here. And, it, and in, in Acts 2017, of course, it says, Paul sent to Ephesus for the, lead, for the elders of the church. And when they arrive then, he begins to talk to them. Talk to them about some challenges they may face, trying to encourage them, all of these kinds of things. In some sense, what is Paul is doing here in Miletus with the leaders from Ephesus, with people in the church in Miletus there, maybe some other Christians that are in communities nearby, they're all coming there to say goodbye to him. Because this might be it. They might not see him again. This might be the, the final farewell. The last chance they have to, for him to say goodbye. And because he tells them this, he says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Only my aim is to finish the race and complete the task that Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul is compelled by God's Spirit to go to Jerusalem, even though he has more than a sneaking suspicion that it's not going to go well for him there. But God is telling him to go. In every city, he says, the Holy Spirit um, warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. And so there's a difficult choice on Paul's heart here, which is, again, one of the reasons why I wonder if he, at the beginning of this journey from Troas, he walks for a while by himself. I don't know about you, sometimes I need to go on a walk or a drive just to kind of clear my head or talk to God or, or think through things. Um, in general, I often drive in meandering ways that drives my wife crazy because I never like to go home the same way I came. Why not explore? Because we want to get home on time, my wife says. Anyway, um, yeah, that's a whole thing. My wife gets car sick. Is it me or is it her? I don't know. Um, she's watching online. I love you. Okay, so... 
And I like to think this, 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 this struggle she had, this struggle that Paul has is tough for him. Um, tough for him, not, because he, not just because he knows what awaits him, but because of all he has to say goodbye to. I don't know how many times in your life you've had to really say goodbye to a group of friends or a place and you don't know if you're ever gonna be there again. Maybe you've had that experience once or twice, things like that. I think back to um, college. Um, it's a long time ago for me now. But I remember, uh, you know, you go to college, I went away to a four-year college, and you spend time with people, um, a lot of time with people, maybe like our interns do here at Adventure, and, and you do life together, you have fun together, you, you study together, you struggle together, you do stupid things together, all of these kind of things. And then, then graduation came, and our parents were there, we celebrated, and then a bunch of us friends got together like in a side room right after graduation to kind of say goodbye to each other. It was like the saddest moment of my life to that point, because I realized all these people that, I, that, I, that I'd been with and taken for granted for years, it was never gonna, gonna, probably gonna, ever gonna be quite like this ever again. And we had to say goodbye to each other. We'd see each other here and there, but maybe never quite like this. And man, it was a gut-wrenching experience doing that. And this, this even knowing that I'd probably see most of them again. Paul is having this experience and he has no idea if he's ever gonna see these people, ever again. People that he loved, people that loved him. The book of Acts goes on. Paul says, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching in the kingdom will ever see me again. He says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified. It goes on later, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And then they accompanied him to his ship after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to a place called Patera. There's a lot of emotion here. I mean, the scripture says they had to tear themselves away. I mean, this isn't just like, a, okay, goodbye, see ya. I mean, this is like hugging, talking, tears. You don't wanna go. You don't wanna go. But the, the, the plane's leaving, the, boat, the boat's leaving. We, we gotta go, we can't stay here forever. But can, just a few more seconds, just a few more minutes, can I stay here? And I wonder, and I don't know, I wonder if there was a temptation for Paul too, right? Um, a temptation to stay. Maybe a little longer, maybe, maybe a lot longer. But he knew what he had to do. He had to set sail. He had to go, he had to go to Jerusalem. He had to surrender and submit to the calling of God in his life. You might say that was a theme actually in Paul's life. That's what being a man on fire uh, for him was all about. It starts on that road to Damascus years before when all of a sudden, however, whatever direction he had put his life on, Jesus shows up and says, no, I am calling you in this direction, and you have to go. And so his life was radically reoriented by Jesus. Paul talks about this in some sense in some of the letters he writes to Christians in the, in the churches in the Bible. In the book of Romans, in the very first verse, it says this. He describes himself as Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. 
He knew the mission he was on. In the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, a letter to the church in Corinth, which is one of the places he visits on his missionary journeys, he says this, this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Paul's on a mission, and this leg of that mission means he's gotta go back to Jerusalem. Even though going back to Jerusalem if you read on in the book of Acts, means arrest, detention, being shipped off to Rome, and eventually the path of his journey will lead to his death at the hand of the Romans. This is where Paul, Paul's journey, Paul's path, the mission of God, is leading them, leading him. So it wasn't just that he didn't want to say goodbye to people, although he didn't. <laughs> He also is going to a place that he really doesn't want to go. He's leaving a place he doesn't want to leave, perhaps, and he's going to a place he really would probably prefer not to go. But he goes. And there's that choice hanging in front of him. I mean, after all, he's been doing some amazing things here. He was doing a lot of good. He had friends. He could have tried to stay on the road forever. There could have been a fourth missionary journey, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. Right, we have 20 missionary journeys. Let's keep doing it. Let's keep the show on the road. He wasn't living a life of waste. He was doing good work. But in the middle of all of that, God was calling him. God was calling him to submit. God was calling him to surrender. In the letter of the church at Philippi, he reflects on what it means to be a Christian and following the example of Jesus. He says this, he says, hey, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests. I'll say it again, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, he writes, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing, being in the very nature a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Humility, submission, surrender. So back to the story here. Paul is on his way. He's in the boat. Let's put the map back up for a second here. He's on the boat. He's, he's sailing. There's Kos. There's Rhodes. There's Patara, names we've mentioned. And finally, he gets uh, over to Tyre. And you can see it over here um, in uh, the area of Palestine. And uh, it's interesting because he has two kind of encounters, one in Tyre and one in Ptolemaeus. And the first group that he encounters, they were Christian believers, and the Holy Spirit had spoken to them some similar things that the Holy Spirit had spoken to Paul. And the Spirit told them that Paul was going to suffer hardship and pain and persecution. And the Scripture says, actually, that... uh, The Scripture says that the Spirit, uh, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. 
which when you first read that sounds like the Holy Spirit was telling them to tell Paul not to go. But if you read a little closer, it's actually more likely that the Holy Spirit told them what was going to happen to Paul when he went to Jerusalem, and they intervened and said, thank you, Holy Spirit, Paul don't go, we know what's gonna happen. We laugh, but it's understandable. I mean, you know, you know something bad's gonna happen, you don't want that bad thing to happen to that person. There's another encounter that he has when he gets to Ptolemaeus. We don't need the map up there, but we, he's gonna get to Ptolemaeus, and he meets a prophet there, and the prophet does this very prophetic thing where he kind of, he, um, he takes Paul's belt, he tied his own hands and his feet with it, and he says this, the Holy Spirit says, Paul, in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Different than the first group, it doesn't say that Agabus then said, so don't go, Paul. He just announced what the Spirit is saying and then maybe steps back, just so we can be very clear that this is what the Spirit is saying. The scripture goes on. When we, the group that was there, heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So once again, Paul, don't go. Don't go, don't do this. We got a good thing going. You got a lot of years ahead of you, don't do this. And Paul answered, why are, you, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done. So I do work at Northwest University, and um, one of the privileges that I have there, one of the great privileges of my life is being able to train uh, young people studying for ministry. Uh, women and men that are called to not just be on stage and speak, but to serve in a thousand different ways that our pastoral staff uh, and ministry interns are serving here uh, at the church. And sometimes in that role, uh, college students will come to me um, looking for advice or wanting to uh, chat with me or maybe to confess something or if they're struggling with an issue, whatever it might be. And so I have an opportunity to talk with them and pray with students from time, from time to time. And when I do that, one of the prayers that I, I feel like I often pray is this. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would open their ears to hear what you are speaking to them and then that you would give them the strength and courage to do what you are calling them to do. Um, which is not just a prayer for college students, it's a prayer for, of course, all of us. Because um, I don't know if you, if you know some people that, that person may even be you from time to time, but somebody tells you something, maybe you need to change or do or whatnot, and your response is, I know, I know, right? You ever try to get somebody advice and they say, I know, and you think to yourself, they're not gonna do anything I just said, you know? <laughs> but they do know, but that's kind of a barrier, like, I know, I'm gonna do what I want now. I know, I'm gonna do what I want now. I know, I'm just gonna ignore you. We know a lot of stuff. Um, but when we know things and we do nothing or we do the opposite of what we know we should be doing, it just goes nowhere or absolutely the wrong direction. Sometimes, well, a lot of times, when we know something from the Lord that he's speaking to our heart, we need to have the strength and courage to not just know it, but to do it, to put it into practice. And we have a situation here where Paul knows what he needs to do and he says, I gotta do this. And we have other people around Paul that are understandably struggling with that. Uh, I know what God's calling Paul to do, but I don't want, I don't want, I don't want this to happen. I really, really don't. I was um, laying in bed this morning when I woke up and um, 
you know, I've obviously been thinking about what I was going to be sharing this morning on, on this theme, and I, I, I almost felt like a question in my own heart, or the Holy Spirit was asking me a similar question. What do I know that I need to start doing? What, what things in my life do I, I need to surrender? And I'll be honest, this is kind of like a thing that's rolling around in my, in my spirit right now. The Lord is working in my own heart, perhaps in, in yours as well. What is that thing that you need to surrender? Maybe even a good thing that I need to let go because God's calling me to something different a path that I prefer or want, but God's calling me to something else. You know, and there's a temptation in life to keep seeking to do what we want. Well, this is what I want. You know, we want a lot of things, and, and when we keep holding on to what we want, though, we can really miss out on what God wants for us, what God is calling us to. I mean, what we want to keep doing, all sorts of things. What we want way back in the garden is to eat that fruit, well, maybe that's not a good idea. In the story of Israel, God says, I am your king. Well, we want a king like everybody else. Well, there's this rich young ruler that comes to see Jesus, and he says, hey, what do I need to do? And Jesus says, sell everything you have, let it go. And he says, I'm gonna go over here now and not do that. Um, even the devil appears to Jesus, thinking he can trick Jesus, and he says, hey, can you turn this stone into a rock? I know you can do it. You got the power. Are you gonna hold on to that power? No. Jesus says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to grasp that. I'm not going to hold on to that. The scripture reminds us, Mark 8, 36, what will it profit a person to gain the whole world or to hold on to the whole world and to lose their soul? And the answer is not very much. And so Paul is at that same kind of crossroads here. The world is at his fingertips, we might say, and as he walked from Troas to Assos and got on that boat and said goodbye to all those tear-filled people and tore himself away, I kind of think in the back of his head at least he was thinking about all this a little bit and maybe not for the first time. Am I going to do this? Am I really going to do this? And so he sailed back to Jerusalem step by step. His face turned to Jerusalem. In our Man on Fire series, we are at a turning point here because now is kind of the beginning of the end. And we'll pick up on this after Easter, but we'll begin to see the end as Paul's journey takes him to finally the end of the book of Acts and on into history. Paul is here once again laying it all down. Jerusalem ends with his eventual house arrest in Rome and eventually the path that God has him on, as I said, leads according to church tradition to his death execution at the hands of the Romans. Turning your face to Jerusalem is this interesting kind of idea because actually it's not just Paul. Actually, someone else does this first and Paul is some, in some ways maybe picking up or the author of Acts is picking up and framing it this way because in the Gospels we see at a certain point, Jesus, especially in the Gospel of Mark, you can see Jesus kind of turns his face to Jerusalem. He's going along with the disciples, they're healing, he's preaching, he's doing all sorts of things, and at one point he says, now it's time for me to go to Jerusalem and die. And the disciples blows their mind, it freaks them out, they denounce him, they, they don't believe this. But the next two weeks, the next week and nine days or so here in this place and, and, and coming here on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Friday, whatever it might be, we're gonna be reflecting on how Jesus set his face to Jerusalem because of the will of God, because of the greater things that were ahead of him. And he didn't, he didn't not struggle. He did struggle. I mean, there's that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, one of, my, one of those powerful moments in the life of Jesus where you, say, where you see him struggling a bit, but in the end saying, Lord, not my will, not my mission, but yours 
be done. And the lesson here? Well, following the mission of God, the calling of God, following God does mean sacrifice. In the Gospels, sometimes Jesus will say something real big and, and, and the disciples will say, this was a hard teaching. This is a hard teaching. Me standing up here and saying it's going to take sacrifice to follow God, it's a hard teaching, but it's a true one. Um, now, probably, listen, let me tell you, you're probably not going to have to sacrifice in the same way that Paul did or that Jesus did, thankfully. But maybe. I don't know where your journey is or where God is calling you. We are called not only to surrender our lives, but our plans to God. Because he has greater things that are planned. He had greater things planned in and through what Jesus surrendered and submitted himself for. He had greater things in and through Paul, as Paul goes to Rome, as Paul continues to carry the gospel wherever he might go. He had things to do in and through them. He has things to do in and through you, through us. So I, I kind of ask you this morning, uh, as you think about this, and you don't need an answer right now, but if you have one, listen. What is, what is Jesus calling you to to sacrifice, to submit, to surrender in your life. Maybe you've walked with Jesus for, for a while and, and there's some things that you've known or that God is revealing to you right now to, to submit and surrender. What are those things? You've been living life apart from following Jesus and you feel like I, I, this is not working. God may be calling you to submit and surrender your life to him now because I tell you there are greater things, much greater things on the other end. Now you may also say, gosh, this is not a hard teaching. I don't want to listen to this at all. Surrendering does not sound like fun. I don't like to let go of stuff. I'm doing okay. And maybe you are doing okay. But <sighs> despite the fact that submission and surrender may just sound like it stinks, there is, there is something to it. You know, and I'll come back to this now, right? Uh, in my favorite movie, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. Um, you know, it's kind of built on the back of a story about Indiana Jones and his father. His father is Henry Jones Sr., played by Sean Connery. Indiana Jones is actually named Henry Jones Jr. So the whole movie, they don't have this great relationship, and Sean Connery keeps calling him Jr., and Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, keeps getting irritated. Um, and so finally they get to this temple, and they find the Holy Grail. And uh, if you drink from it, you... you your diseases will be healed, you'll live forever on earth, whatever. And, uh, but you can't take it across this magical seal on the, on the ground. And um, Ilsa, yes, I do know her name, uh, carries, the, uh, carries the grail across the seal and there's this earthquake. A chasm opens up. The grail falls, gets stuck in a rock right here. Ilsa falls, Indiana Jones just manages to grab onto her. And she says, oh, I can, I can just reach this. I can just grab onto this. It just to, just... She even touches it at one point. Can I, can I just get it? And, he, and, and Indiana Jones just says, Come, forget about that. Just grab your other hand so I can pull you up. And she keeps trying and she slips. She falls. She's gone. She's away. And then as she slips, kind of Indiana Jones himself falls. And the hand of his father grabs him, holds on to him. But he sees it too. God, I can almost get it. It's right here if I just... And... His father keeps calling him junior and junior and he's not listening. And finally, the voice of his father speaks his name, the name that he went by, that everybody knew him by, and he says, Indiana. 
let it go. And hearing his father speak his name in that voice, he, he lets it go. He's able to give his dad his other hand. His dad pulls him up, he's saved. They ride off into the sunset. The movie's over. It's just a movie, but it's a pretty good example, I think. Um, sacrifice can mean hard things. It can mean letting go of stuff that we thought we wanted, but actually doesn't matter too much. And submission means not our way, right? But sometimes our way, honestly, if we're really honest with ourselves, isn't working out as well as we thought anyway. Um, and the tighter we hold on, the more we miss out, the more danger we can find ourselves in. It doesn't make sense to our brains, right? We think that holding on tighter means safety, but sometimes holding on too tight means I have no room to grab on or take anyone's hand for anything else. Letting go means we can move to a new place. Letting go is essential because there is that voice calling to us in our own name, asking us to let go of whatever we had in front of us for what he is calling us to. The voice is Jesus. This morning, I'd just like you to close your eyes for a moment. Just you and the Lord here this morning. Is Jesus calling you to surrender your life to him? If that's you this morning, just, I'd like to pray for you. Can you just raise your hand this morning? Jesus calling you to surrender your life to him. Yeah, I see those hands, yeah. Lord, I pray for those who raised their hands this morning said I, they need to surrender their lives to Jesus. Maybe for the first time, Lord, I pray that you'd meet them where they are. Lord, I pray that as they, as they reach out, Lord, that we know that you will be faithful to take their hand. Lord, I pray that you'd meet them in that place. Lord, I pray that you'd encourage them. Friends, if that's you this morning, I encourage you to just seek out one of our pastoral team, our prayer partners this morning. Share with them that, that story and let us, let us partner with you in that. Just with our eyes continue to close here this morning, are there others here who say, you know, maybe I don't need to surrender my, 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 my whole life to Jesus. I've done that, but there are parts of my life. Oh, maybe a new direction or something that I need to, I need to let go of or, or something I'm trying to grasp onto that I need to let go of. Is anyone here this morning that says, I need to let, Jesus is calling me to let go of some things in my life? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm there too. I'm just compiling my list still. So let's pray. Lord, help us to let go of the things that you want us to let go of. Help us to follow the calling that you are calling us to. Strengthen us, Lord, for that journey. Let us hear your voice clearly, loudly. Let us do what you were calling us to do. Give us that strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.